Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This podcast is sponsored by Talkspace. May is Mental Health Awareness Month, and Talkspace, the leading virtual therapy provider, is encouraging people to talk it out in therapy. By talking or texting with a supportive, licensed therapist at Talkspace, you'll gain insights, discover truths, and experience breakthroughs that will improve how you live and how you feel. With Talkspace, just answer a few questions online, and you'll be matched with a therapist. And because you'll meet your therapist online, you don't have to take time off work or arrange childcare. You'll meet on your schedule, whenever you feel most at ease. Plus, Talkspace works with most major insurers, and most insured members only pay a $25 copay or less. No insurance? No problem. If you want to make progress toward a mentally healthier place, Talkspace is here for you. Now get $80 off your first month with promo code SPACE80 when you go to Talkspace.com. Match with a licensed therapist today at Talkspace.com. Save $80 with code SPACE80 at Talkspace.com. Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened, where we discuss, explore, and connect with fellow empaths, healers, intuitives, and seekers. Welcome back to another episode of Enlightened Empaths. Really glad that you're with us today. And this is almost a follow-up to the show we did on the five attachment styles. We're going to talk about neuroplasticity today. And it's a really, it's a little bit of a heady topic, no pun intended, since it's on brain chemistry, but it is a, a really deep dive into how you can always change the way you're programmed. And neuroplasticity is the brain's capacity to continue to grow and evolve in response to life experiences. So this plasticity has gives the capacity to be shaped, molded, altered, Neuroplasticity is the ability for the brain to adapt or change over time by creating new neurons and building new networks. And scientists used to believe the brain stopped growing after childhood, but current research shows that the brain is able to continue growing and changing throughout the lifespan, refining synaptic connections and shifting functions to different regions of the brain. That's up from psychology today. This is a really kind of a hot topic right now because I think so many of us that may have had traumatic or difficult or unhealthy relationships or were so highly sensitive, knowing that there's a way that this can be transformed into healthier patterns is, for me, it's very hopeful. It is very hopeful. And like you said, last week we were talking about these attachment styles and how you can heal them and change them and alter them. And now we're going to offer a little bit more uh, geeky science (laughs) research to to back that up and show that there's always hope. There's always possibility for change. Dr. Rebecca Robbins probably summarizes it best. She says, all of your life events are stored inside your brain in your vast subconscious and used as a resource for you in your life. The mind mechanics of rewiring neurons, plasticity, and memory reconsolidation 
help you overcome old unpleasant memories, old patterns of belief or trauma. By updating what you hold within, you upgrade your references. I love that. I love that because it's it's putting us in the driver's seat and it's validating that, yes, you've been through a lot of difficult stuff, but it doesn't have to hold you hostage the entire time you're on the planet. Exactly. And it's it's like, you know, with me, the one example that comes to mind, every time I've picked up a ball, a tennis racket, anything sports related, it has not gone well. And mm-hmm. so as an adult, whenever I'm you know, in a situation where I have to do something sports related, I kind of freeze because my subconscious, my story that I'm telling myself inside my brain is constantly saying, you're not good at athletics. Mm-hmm. So that's a very basic minor example, but I think it illustrates how we can, we can change that. Science is showing that you can take the story you've been telling your whole life and change it to where you don't have that expectation of of failure or the other shoe dropping or something negative occurring. Right. Which was something we brought up in the attachment styles. So it'll be interesting to see how this uh, correlates. And I I just want to put in the disclaimer real quick. Neither Samantha or I are professionals in this field. We do not have medical backgrounds to be talking about this. We've read a lot. We've talked about this and that's where this, this show is being what the show is being based on. But I think it's important to not come across as being the experts in this when we don't have an actual degree in it. Not even close. <laughs> Just have a fascination. <laughs> now, verywellmind.com, you know, they list neuroplasticity as the brain's ability to change and adapt due to experience. And they use it as an umbrella term referring to the brain's ability to change, reorganize, or grow neural networks. So this can involve functional changes due to brain damage or structural changes due to learning. And those are the the two types of neuroplasticity are functional plasticity and structural. And I think that the uh, plasticity is the brain's malleability or ability to change. It doesn't mean that the brain is plastic, obviously. And neuro refers to neurons, the nerve cells that are the building blocks of the brain and nervous system. Neuroplasticity allows nerve cells to change or adjust. The functional plasticity is the brain's ability to move functions from a damaged area of the brain to other undamaged areas. So think of people who have had strokes, traumatic brain injuries, some kind of potentially a seizure activity that has Uh, impacted their neural networking or a specific area of the brain. And a really good example of that is when the former U.S. representative Gabrielle Giffords was tragically shot in the head in 2001. She couldn't speak, but in the years since, music therapy helped Giffords recover the ability to express herself. So she was able to rewire some neural networks and use a different part of her brain to make up for that deficit that occurred because of the shooting. Well, I can talk about, you know, my former husband, Mike's shooting. I mean, when, when he woke up from the coma, the, the neurologist told us he'd never, he'd never work again. And he had to go to speech there. Oh my gosh, I can't even list all the doctors, but it was a year of outpatient rehab with different physical therapists, speech therapists. He was, that whole first year was so awful. 
he would hallucinate constantly. So we'd be mm-hmm. watching the PGA or whatever, right? On TV at home. And he would say, Samantha, why didn't you tell me this was this weekend? I'm I'm hosting the Masters. I have to go. And he'd look for his keys. It was it was really weird. And I thought, oh gosh, this is gonna be, this is gonna be hard. And mm-hmm. we just kept trying different therapies. We did biofeedback, we did oxygen therapy, and we did, I tried everything. We went up to every doctor, every alternative practitioner. We acupuncture, you know, you name it, we tried it. And I, to look at him today, you know, working successfully, he's in a new, happy, great relationship. We're we're doing fine. We're good friends. He's paying his taxes. He's working, you know, like you just, it's amazing to look at that first year where he had to learn to walk again. And then he was having all these, all these hallucinations with, with every time we watched a TV show, he somehow thought he was a part of it. He had lost, I think, six or eight months of his memory before the the shooting. He's never wow. reclaimed that. Um, his short-term memory, you know, is still awful and terrible, and that'll never come back. He has a really strange relationship with time. Like he'll say, he'll say something like, Okay, so I have to go to my friend's house and help him change his oil. And then you want me to go to the grocery store and pick up the kids. Yes, that's right, Mike. Okay, I'll be back in 15 minutes. <laughs> no, it takes 15 minutes just to drive to your friend's house. So he has a weird relationship with time still, uh, zero short-term memory. But for the most part, everything else is back. The headaches have gone. So it's amazing how the brain heals. Now, granted, that was a long time ago. That happened in 2005. So this did not happen overnight. I do think the that all of this takes time. I Don't you think sometimes people are looking for an instant quick fix? Yes. Yes. And that's not the answer. And uh, there was a, a woman I knew years ago, and her father was a very, very successful physician. And he had a massive stroke. And he was maybe in his, uh, I'm going to say mid-60s, late 60s when this happened. It just recently retired, had a massive stroke. And at that point, relearn to to speak to walk to read to so you have this man who was brilliant a very accomplished physician who had to start at square one all over again and I think that this just really both of these incidences emphasizes the how incredible neuroplasticity can be there's there's hope there is an your example with your former husband is exceptional because I think so many people have been in tragic, tragic situations and all they want for the person they love is to bring them back or for them to have a quality of life again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't know that with a with a, a severe brain injury like that, I don't think you can come 100% back, but the, just the fact that you can get to where, where he is, where Giffords is, is just amazing testimony to the power of our mind, our brain, our body to heal itself. Structural plasticity is the brain's ability to actually change its physical structure as a result of learning. Think of small children being completely engaged with learning something new through a multimodality approach. The first few years of life are a time of rapid brain growth and development. At birth, each neuron in the cerebral cortex has about 2,500 synapses or small gaps between the neurons where nerve impulses are relayed. By age three, this has grown to about 15,000 synapses per neuron. 
Okay. I have no idea what that means, but I do understand that that's a huge growth jump yes. growth and development. That's amazing. Adults average about half of this number because as we gain new experiences, some connections strengthen while others are eliminated. This is known as synaptic pruning. Neurons that are used frequently develop stronger connections. Those that are rarely or never used eventually die. By developing new connections and pruning away weak ones, the brain can adapt to the changing environment. It's fantastic. And it's hopeful. It's hopeful because going back to the show we did on the attachment styles, and again, this is being reinforced. So if you have, and but I've shared this in the past that I've worked a lot in professionally as a teacher, I worked a lot with children who were in uh, foster care placements, abusive situations, lock up a lot of early childhood trauma for these children. And to know that there is a way that they could rewire. And that's what basically we're talking about is rewiring things a little bit so that you, you are able to, and this comes up for many folks right now, breaking those cyclical patterns, or they're choosing to parent a different way, or they're choosing to, to love a different way. And I, I think this all comes back to, to this um, incredible opportunity we have to rewire things. But so we're, you know, this is great for those of us that love brain chemistry and tend to geek out on this kind of stuff. But why is this important to us as empaths? Because that's basically why we're here, folks, is to talk about being empaths. And I think it's because it is possible to change dysfunctional patterns of thinking and behaving and to develop new mindsets, new memories, new skills, and new abilities. And there is research that supports the fact that uh, the brain can change throughout life through responding to experiences and reorganizing connections. As I mentioned, wiring and rewiring and neuroplasticity can be seen as a structurally structural remodeling of the brain. And and you had this experience with with your um, dad having cognitive issues later in life of there were some some synapses that weren't firing the way they always had for him. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I'm sure it, I mean, it's for for those of us that are observers and caretakers and all of that. But for the person experiencing that, is there a way to prevent or to uh improve the functioning to a point where it may not lead to that detriment. It's helpful to know that there is. I mean, let's talk about neurogenesis. It's the creation of new brain cells. Certain areas of the brain, particularly the hippocampus, are capable of generating new cells throughout adult life. One of the core concepts of neuroplasticity is Hebb's rule, neurons that fire together, wire together. Basically, the more that neurons communicate with one another, the stronger the connection will be. Equally, connections that aren't used will be lost. Neurogenesis pretty much says that as new cells are created, they build stronger connections and have a higher likelihood of developing new neural pathways compared to older neurons. The ability of the brain to change and grow in response to experience helps people recover and overcome from severe stress and adversity to be resilient, to bend without breaking. Depression, anxiety, and post-traumatic stress disorder are often characteristic of disrupted neuroplasticity. This leads to getting stuck in neural ruts of negative thinking, feeling, behaving, or fear-based memories. 
I get very confused and conflicted over this sometimes because I feel that if you've been through a traumatic experience, you have to relive it for a while. Now that is just my non-scientific, non-experience. Uh-huh. You know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but in in my personal experience, I feel like when you go through a traumatic situation, what has helped me is reliving it through talking about it, writing about it, looking at it from different angles, sharing it, not pushing it down, not hiding it, not saying, oh, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's great. You know, and just being really honest, like I'm having a sad day today, or I'm having a hard day today, or be patient with me. I'm still processing this or being patient with myself if I'm processing a traumatic event. And then I think there has to come a time though, because I always think about traumatic memories, like, like a cold sore, you know, like if you have like a cut on your lip and you can't stop touching it and mm-hmm. then it gets worse and it never heals. That's how I always think about traumatic stuff in my life. Like it, you, yes, you have to live through it and then you have to process it and talk about it and share about it and all that. But at some point you have to not necessarily let it go. Cause I don't know that you can ever do that, but you have to assimilate it in a new way into the story of your life that you tell yourself. I agree with you 100%. I really think that that is building this resilience, replaying that. Is that a part? I don't know either, but is it part of the process of the neuroplasticity and developing those new neural pathways is working through it and not being dismissive of it? Because that is is encouraging you to bend without breaking. If something has not broken you to the point where you're unable to function, which God willing, if anyone's in that position, please know you have our, our empathy and compassion. But I think many, many, many of us have lived through things. The example you just gave a minute ago of your husband, your ex-husband going through that, you were a young mother, you had little babies to take care of. This is the the person that you love dearly, who is your partner. And to have the light switch hit, if you didn't replay that over and over, I'd be kind of worried about your mental health. Right. Yeah, I think it's crucial to do that. But at the same time, there has to come a point where you have to you have to flip it and say, okay, that yes. happened. Now what? Yes. And and I think that that is a very personal experience. And, but what I do know from, uh, is it having observed this on a personal note, people who are unable to find that place of being able to release and move forward becomes, can become stuck on a perpetual loop tape, which fosters bitterness, anger, resentment, and even potentially physical illness. Yes, I completely agree. You've got to you've got to find a way to respond to it differently. It's like the airplane story I told last week, where everyone was so kind and laughing about our huge long delay because of the Chinese spy balloon. Mm-hmm. It's it's everything in life is how you respond to it. Yeah, if you if you focus on having a positive response, eventually, not in the beginning. Remember our show years back on uh, toxic positivity. Yes. I'm not saying respond to it positively in the moment because that's not appropriate. But I also think that these difficult neurons we're dealing with, in a way, they remind me of grief. And and you know how we've both said on the show so many times, you never let go of grief. You just learn to deal with it at different stages of your life in different ways. Right. And I wonder if that's what is part of changing this brain chemistry. So 
because I use this expression a lot of pulling out the taproot. And I think if there is deep grief or trauma or a situation in your life that hit you on such a level, or if we want to even look at multiple lifetimes, is it something you brought with you? But when you're pulling that root out and pulling and pulling and pulling and you think you have it, and then you say, nope, that I didn't quite get it all out yet. I didn't get to that that core level of release. I think that's what you're talking about is hitting that place where you've finally ripped that root out and said, okay, now I'm ready to heal and move forward. Yes. I think that is really, really important. Can we talk about some strategies for doing this, for rewiring our brain? I think that sounds wonderful. Well, one of the things, and, and you've been very open about the impact that you've had you going to a therapist with psychotherapy because it's the the point of it is to foster resilience. And the goal is to help people examine distressing feelings and experiences and redirect them into more functional patterns. And when you do that, you're able to restore cognitive and behavioral flexibility. This goes back to what we said a moment ago about, you know, the aging mind of Alzheimer's or, or cognitive issues later in life. Aging is thought to decrease resilience through the cumulative detrimental effects of stress on neuroplasticity, but the capacity of the brain to rewire itself in response to experience makes a case for lifelong stimulation as a way to maintain optimal brain health and decrease the risk of dementia and generative disorders like Alzheimer's disease. So a lot of times you'll say, oh, I do crossword puzzles. I do Sudoku. But I think that the very first step, if you're looking to rewire some things in your brain is figure out what you want to change. What what is it that is not working for you anymore? You have to identify. Once you figure that out, you can identify the response you want to develop. Instead of this reaction, I would love to have this reaction and explore different ways to reduce that unwanted response and boost up the desired response that you're looking for. And then it's practice, like with anything, muscle memory, practice and practice and practice the new response until it becomes so ingrained that it becomes your new habit. And I believe that's what's building that new neural pathway. You're building those new synapses firing. You're building that new roadway to a new way of doing it and a new way of thinking about it. Is that almost like fake it till you make it? Or am I simplifying that? I think that's an excellent way to do it. But you have to, similar to, uh, let's use crunches. You start doing crunches, you heave yourself up, you do, oh my gosh, I did five crunches. And then within a month, you're doing 50. And it's like, wow, why I couldn't even get up for five crunches. You're building a new a new pattern, a new expectation for yourself. I think we're doing the same thing with our brains. You know, a, kind of an interesting thing. I think I read this correctly. 2% of our, our functioning, but 20% of our nutrition goes to our brain health. Wow. Yeah. So if you're living on, you know, Twinkies and zebra cakes and, and soda, you might want to think about maybe I should have a glass of water every once in a while. A banana. Brains look. <laughs> Brains do love bananas. <laughs> All right. So what are some things we can do to improve our neuroplasticity? Well, aerobic exercise helps the brain as much as the heart. In the brain, it stimulates the release of the substance known as brain-derived neurotropic factor, BDNF, which sets in motion the growth of new synaptic connections and bolsters the strength of signals transmitted from neuron to neuron. Stress is known to weaken expression of BDNF, 
Studies show that walking an hour a day, five out of seven days a week, increases brain matter in the hippocampus, the seat of learning and memory. I, I think that is so important. You know, at, at my gym, I tend to, you're a much more scheduled person than I am. So I don't go to the gym at the same time every day. And often if I want to try something new, I'll go at like 3.30 when no one's there, if I can. And that's when all these like really old people are there. And Denise, I've gotten to know some of them and they are just so inspiring and amazing. I mean, there's this one guy, Claude, he's at the gym six days a week. And like, we'll do a yoga or a Pilates class together. And I always love talking to him and what's going on. Where are you? And then he'll leave that gym to go to the Y to swim for an hour. So he he's just constantly exercising and he's 76. You'd never know it. There are so many older people at that gym who are just no knee pain. They've cured all their physical pains just by going to the gym and doing, you know, light muscle lifting and some light gentle yoga classes. And it's so inspiring. And, you know, you mentioned my, my dad and people with Alzheimer's and how adding new things to your life is really important. Something I've noticed a lot as, you know, at my age, my friends are dealing with losing parents just as, just as I am. So my dad retired early. He was 52 and he didn't really have any new experiences after that. When they traveled, they traveled to places they'd been before. When they went to see people, it was friends and family they'd known for a long time. There weren't a lot of new experiences for like the last 30 years of his life. One of my friend's dads was in a very high-powered job in Washington, D.C. He retired at 60, and she said he just sat on the chair and watched TV for like the next 15 years and got Alzheimer's. And I keep seeing that pattern of, of people who retire early and just kind of stop, you know, like you're on the treadmill and then you turn it off and you just sit. I think that's really, really bad for your brain and for your cognitive function. So if, if anyone out there is like me going, hmm, look at that 401k, I think I'm going to be working another 35 years. <laughs> but that's a really good a point. And I, I think so many people that they have defined who they are by their profession for so long that when that ends, it unless you start something else. I'm a big fan of grow, evolve, develop the entire time you're here. I don't I don't want to waste my turn. I really don't. And I think retirement is for some people a double-edged sword unless you're able to fill it with new new things to keep building new neurons, new pathways. Exactly. Some other ways that you, besides physical exercise, engaging in positive social interactions or participating in novel activities, learning something new. And I joke about reteaching myself French because I'm speaking French to the dog and it's fun and it's silly and it rehitching those pathways again. Play, 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 play. And I think as adults, as hyper responsibility people, as the person who's had to take care of everything for so long, we might forget to play sometimes. And that doesn't have to be a big deal. It doesn't have to be, it can be getting silly. It can be finding joy in something. It can be revisiting something that you used to enjoy doing when you were younger. I know that you're you're a big fan of sketching and doing art. Do you find that that's a joyful play activity for you as well? 
so joyful and playful. And I've finally gotten to the point where I don't care if it's good or bad. I just enjoy the process, you know, learning new things and trying watercolors and trying this paintbrush. And yeah, I love that. And so I think anything you can do that feels playful and fun. And and like we've said so many times on the show, anything you can do where you lose time, where you look up and go, oh my gosh, how did an hour pass? I think that's fantastic for your brain and your soul. And it it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about it, because if it's bringing you joy or interest or losing time, that's all that matters. Uh, But being enriched in stimulating environments, anything that is going to get you to think or be interested or want to learn more about it, practicing and repeating positive activities. We, We both go on and on about mindfulness and meditation it's kind of the the magic elixir for so many things, isn't it? It really is. It really is. And, you know, the studies show mentally rehearsing positive events is really important too. And in a way, I think that can be a form of mindfulness meditation. And I know in my life that has worked like magic. If I have a goal, for example, and I talk about it to safe people, And what I mean by that is you don't ever want to have a goal and tell it to one of your negative naysayer friends. You want to say it to someone who loves and supports you. So if I have a goal and and I tell you about it, I talk about it to you. And um, oftentimes you'll say, well, how are you going to do that? What steps, you know, that helps. So I think talking about it helps. But then when I am walking or at the gym or driving, I'll mentally go over and visualize and feel what it'll look like when I accomplish that goal. That is very empowering. And and like I said, it tends to come to fruition. It tends to work like magic. You made a really good point about making sure you incorporate how you'll feel. And I think a lot of people, when they're manifesting, they forget to add that or dreaming or goal setting. They forget to add that emotional component in as empaths, as sensitive people, I think that's a huge, huge, huge part of the whole equation. I do too. I do too. Learning a new language or playing an instrument, those are all things we've heard before, reading more, but it's also getting enough rest. And there's, I spoke with a woman recently and her work ethic is phenomenal. She works for this company that has very high expectations for the employees. And she shared with me how many hours a week she was working. And I know she's incredibly devoted to her job, her company. And I was immediately very concerned with how many hours per week we're going into working for this this corporation. The person shared about sleep patterns and, and all these other things. And I think getting enough rest is so important. And there's, you know, research that will say, you know, sleep is an important role in in dendritic growth in the brain. And the dendrites are the growths at the end of the neurons that help transmit information from one neuron to the next. So if you can strengthen those connections, you may be able to encourage greater brain plasticity. And the physical and mental health that comes with, with getting enough sleep and rest is really important as well. I like the way this is all connected because I found if you if you exercise during the day, if you do something new during your day, if you're mindfully stimulated during the day, that will help you not only fall asleep, but stay asleep. Yes. It's, it's all connected. And it's all things that we can do without 
expense or with, you can try any of these and see if it makes a difference for you. Yeah. Going back to the exercise for a minute, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services usually recommends getting at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity of cardio, walking, dancing, swimming, cycling a week, and two days of strength training. So that goes back to what you're saying about your friend Claude at the gym, that mm-hmm. he's he's showing up. And it's and it's reaping benefits. I mean, he looks super healthy. He's super happy, very social, very, very engaged. And I know for me, like there are like, yes, I love to read and I love to write and draw and sketch and doodle. And I love to go out with my friends and all that stuff. I don't love going to the gym, right? I'm never like, woohoo, look at me putting on my sneakers, you know. <laughs> but I'll tell you what I love. I love driving home from the gym mm-hmm. because I feel so great. And like the endorphins, that's a that's a real thing. And so I think if this is another one of our fake it till you make it strategies we were talking about before, I think that's a very, very important one. And and like you said, all the studies show that it reaps huge benefits in all areas of our life, but also, especially for this show, our brain growth and development. Yes. This goes back to what you're saying about, you know, your former husband as well of, it might take a while. It might not be, oh, I went to the gym three times. Why am I not feeling clearer? Why am I not sleeping better? Just build it as a new practice because we're rewiring ourselves. We're relearning. We're breaking those old patterns that have been with us for so long and have landed us where we are now. Yeah. And you know, when, when we were in that process of seeing, I don't know, a million and one doctors, one of the doctors we saw was a neuropsychologist. And I loved her because she gave him practical things he could do every day. And one of the things she gave us a study that showed jumping on a trampoline for 10 to 15 minutes a day does something to your lymphatic system that helps all the juices in your body flow better back and forth to your brain. So we did get a trampoline. And then she said, any repetitive exercise Now, this is for brain injured people. I don't know if this is for all of us, but she said any repetitive exercise like swimming, cycling, or walking is so good for your brain. And she said that the studies that she had really invested research into showed that biking was the best. So we did end up getting him a bike and he joined the cycling group in town and started biking pretty much every day. And I think that all played a huge part in his ability to heal. And if you watch kids, like little kids, let's go back to the source here with the little kids. Uh, You know how kids will get on a swing and they'll spin and spin and spin and spin. And we would just fall over or be ill if we did that. But there is a, a physiological vestibular development that's happening with that spinning. So they know, they know how to move. They know how to, they naturally do yoga. They play and run and sleep when they're tired. And we can learn so much from our little people. That's very, very true. And I've, I've read in a lot of my metaphysical books that if you do any type of spinning, it helps clean your aura. Oh. And I can tell you, Denise, I have tried that in the privacy of my backyard. I've tried spinning. I feel like a bumbling idiot. So, <laughs> and the whirling dervishes that that uh, in Sufi, right? Yes. That, and of course, there are some instances where if you're if you're dealing with someone that may have 
substance abuse disorder or disease or a, a traumatic experience that is so heinous or lead poisoning, that might be an issue where brain plasticity doesn't come as naturally or as easily. Yeah. And there are some medical conditions that can limit or hinder this as well, like pediatric neurological disorders like epilepsy, cerebral palsy, or fragile X syndrome. So there are, you know, some people might have some challenges that make this a little bit harder, but I don't think it can be understated how important it is to focus on always trying and always looking hopefully towards growth and improvement in your life, no matter what your challenges are in the present moment. The fact that this is based on 50 years ago and it's still holding solid and it's becoming more known to folks, I think that there's going to be more research and development that's going to help people improve this exponentially in the coming years. Yes, I do too. I do too. And I hope for empaths listening, it's just another reminder of how we have so much control in our life. I know sometimes it feels like life is out of your hands and things are just happening chaotically all around you and the news is scary and terrible and, and all of that. However, this type of science and research is showing us that, no, no, we have choices in how we respond to what's happening within us and around us. And we have choices in the daily habits we choose to partake in. We do have some control in that and how our life goes. And don't you feel sometimes for empaths, we're kind of like uh, like little sponges, you know, we, we walk around just absorbing everything from everyone around us? Well, that may be to our benefit. If part of the thing is being aware, being conscious, new novel activities, all of those things, maybe our ability to absorb is a superpower in this state. I hope so. I hope so too. But I also think it's it's just another reminder that you can absorb the positive and you can choose to not absorb the negative and you can choose to heal the negative within you. And you can choose to seek out the positive within you and all around you. It's all choice. Yes. Very well said. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this deep dive into science. <laughs> we'll be back with you next week with a non-sciencey show, we promise. In the meantime, we hope you have a wonderful, wonderful week filled with new stimulation and creative outlets. Please remember, as always, to show up do great work and share your light. Thank you. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.